Did, did, did your dog open that door? I know, yeah. I saw My dog opens doors. My dog is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, she's now she's she's Now I dogs. <laughs> They don't do the they don't do the locks. They don't do the door. Okay. Let's make a start. Yeah. All right. I'm John Williams. I am the co-founder and executive director of Real Works in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, I'm Keisha Katz. I'm the director of workforce and external partnerships at Real Works. Hi, I'm Charles Reynoso, and I'm the manager of education and curriculum development at Real Works. Check out this audio clip from a film I'll tell you about in a second. The biggest reason why there was so much tension between my mom and I regarding my identity was because I always felt that she believed my transness was a problem. Eventually that tension contributed to ultimately being hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital for four months, which. Gunny Pishing of Vazagan Yi without Echido Pila Lechito. You were Eastern Jusagunning, Jusung Ado, Yang Zukanchi, a young East Gakucha, or over young, you were Gazan Woyo to work gunning. I used to be really scared of fire. Every time my hand even remotely felt the heat of a flame, my fingers would tingle with nerves and my heart would beat like a drum major. It's funny because every year for Chinese New Year, my mother leaves me with the task of burning Joss paper for our ancestors. She says it grants them good things in the afterlife. After years of playing with paper and matches, I learned to stop fearing fire and start fearing obedience instead. Since I was a child, I was my mother's clay. Here, a scraper carved classic Chinese conformity into my personality. There, a gentle press of her thumb implanted a misogynistic sense of dependency. She was Michelangelo, and I was her marble masterpiece. One of the most pervasive themes of 21st century education is the idea of readiness. Job ready, college ready, ready for their future or our future as peoples? There's so much to be ready for these days. I can't help but wonder about all the ways we might be neglecting skills that need nurturing, which help us process what is, not what's off in the future. In this episode, we're talking with members of a team in Brooklyn focused on teen filmmaking. As you heard in the clip I opened with from a film by young creator Ian Chen, made during his experience in real works programs. While the skills of storytelling, sure, might help Ian land a job in the many industries where video savvy story creators are needed, these skills and this learning environment might also be exactly what some young people need to reckon with what is right here and now. And I can't think of a mission more worthwhile, especially after the year we all just lived through. Being a teen was one experience that I'd rather not revisit for myself, but doing it in 2021? No thanks. Before we get going, head to realworks.org. That's R-E-E-L-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G and learn more about how you can support a program that not only helps young people prepare for a life and career off in the future, but might also ensure through the process of storytelling that those of us needed to solve the future's greatest challenges have the tools we need to survive and thrive with what is. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. John, I want to start with uh, the origin story for RealWorks. 
and tell people for those for those who don't know um you know i'm hoping that in the origin story somehow you can you can take us from a place where um you started in all mm-hmm. of this right um wanting to motivate you know and and be a support to young people who were creative and um might benefit from tools and context and and all of the things that real works could bring the world has changed so much um mm-hmm. in the time since real works was founded um give us the origin story and kind of who real works is today okay yeah so i mean the origin story begins um my wife stephanie and i were both working television producers um, in uh, living in Brooklyn, working in New York. Um, and we had got invited by the local YMCA to teach a class, um, uh, teenagers making a oral history project um, that we decided to turn to a film um, at the Prospect Park YMCA. And um, so we really had no intention of starting a nonprofit. We had not really taught teenagers before. Um, I'm the son of an English teacher, so I kind of feel I have a little bit of a DNA of a teacher in me, but I didn't really know. Um, and we were just fascinated by working with these young people that the Y had um, had recruited for this project. Um, they were documenting the lives of retired merchant mariners living at the YMCA. That was the project, um, and um, which was actually a fascinating story. And the sailors were at D-Day, and you know they were their their careers were amazing, and their lives were pretty remarkable. Um, but, you know, during the course of the 15 months or so of that project, we, you know, naturally got interested in the students' stories because we got to know them. And we um, we asked the why would we would they extend the program and let us work with teenagers, let teenagers, teenagers tell their own stories. That's really just we were interested. The why had invested in this project enough. There was equipment now at the why. So we said, buy a couple of cameras. We'll recruit some kids. We'll give them cameras and we'll create short documentaries. That's about as much as we had thought it through. Um, and, you know, it was, um, in those early days, everything was was a revelation in terms of, you know, teaching filmmaking, teaching videography, documentary filmmaking, the way we had learned it, and the way we had become pros at it, what we were doing stuff for TV. And the kids would take everything we taught, forget half of it, go shoot with their innate creativity, and bring back remarkable stories. Um, and, um, you know, there was a moment, I think, um, in that first class where these films started coming together on the editing computer. You know, they really started coalescing into these remarkable stories. And it was clear to us that we had stumbled onto something. It was both, um, you know, it was something we learned about ourselves, our ability to help a young person tell his or her story. Um, it was obviously something in these the windows into these um, communities, these worlds, these experiences that we hadn't seen that were unique and powerful. And then there was this creativity that the young people were bringing that was teaching us about filmmaking as much as we were teaching them. And I said to Stephanie at some point, I said, you know, this, this, there's something here, you know, this is like, we have to continue doing this, um, even though we didn't know how we were going to do it. Um, it also was incidentally post 9-11. So, um, the recession had arrived at that point and um, future of the program was very, very much in doubt. Um, but, you know, we did that first class and um, we submitted a couple films to HBO because they had um, a program for youth filmmakers. Um, and we sold two films to HBO um, right out of the gate. The, 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 um, and it was uh, within a year, HBO became our first sponsor. Mm. Um, literally saved us we the Wyatt said there's no more money we love we love you it's wonderful the kids are great but there's no money it's it's a 9-11 it's the 9-11 recession really um and uh and they were really closing the doors they allow us they allowed us to keep working for free in the office that they donated to us um but there's no more funding for our salary so we were pretty much going to wrap it up and go back to work Mm. um when the um when hbo contacted us and said their interest in funding a program. And so that's 2002, 2003, that's the beginning of our partnership with Warner Media. And that's we've been, that's been 18 years we're working with Warner Media now. Wow. Um, and they've been funding the program ever since. So, you know, it really was um, uh, something we discovered that we love to do, something that we discovered that we were good at, 
as teachers. Um, we didn't know anything about youth development. We didn't know anything about education. We couldn't name an objective. We couldn't Mm-mm. pedagogy. We were just filmmakers who were teaching by instinct. And um, But the students were teaching us, and they were creating amazing films, which were then now, now we're getting on Channel 13. Now we're winning awards and festivals. Now, you know, there was something that was happening at the program that was very different from the youth media that we were seeing around us. Mm. Um, what we were seeing at youth media film festivals um, was not so impressive. We, um, we were, um, maybe it was our big egos. We had these big egos, so we thought the film should be really good. And we could, you know, we can, we knew a few tricks so we could help the kids tell us a better story. Um, and um, eventually we had mentors working with kids one-on-one, which was replicating that that experience that we had sort of began. Um, but we know we saw teachers' political ideas informing the work or the make the film about gun violence, make the film about sexual health, a lot of like, a lot of stories imposed upon young people. And when we were asking young people tell us what you want to tell the world, like what, you know, they weren't necessarily writing about gun violence or about gangs in the neighborhood or they were, their stories were very, um, well, they were deeply personal. They were about family a lot, always about identity, sometimes about really tough issues, um, um, you know, drugs or cutting school or difficult things. But, you know, teenagers also told stories almost always with incredible sense of hope. Um, and the darkest story had hope because they're teenagers. They mm-hmm. have to see the world positively. They have to see the future um, as promising. And I think that was also something that we were learning along the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, today, you know, so that was teaching six to 10 kids on the roof of the YMCA in 2001, 2002. Today, I think we just noted over thousand kids this past year, close to 1,100 students that we've taught were all over the country. Um, that one workshop is a whole continuum of workshops, as we say. We we can start with middle school and then we can, um, uh, a kid, a student, a young woman, she can learn filmmaking and take filmmaking classes for free at RealWorks if she's in Brooklyn throughout high school. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we'll help her get her internship, get, help her get a job, help her get into college. Um, it really has gone from a single workshop to a middle school through young adult from 12 to 25 is sort of the age range that we're working with, guiding young people through this discovery of, um, of something they love and um, all the way to developing a passion and um, pursuing a career in that industry. Hmm. And so, to use the term du jour, RealWorks today braids um, together an arts program and a mentoring program with a workforce program. And that's that's who we are today. How'd I do? That's, yeah. Good. That's good. yeah. What, would, what would you guys add that he missed? Uh, so uh, I found RealWorks when... I was a high school student, I was a senior in high school, and a student came into my AP psychology class and showed a film about um, the mental health issues within her family. And I think that for me, as a student that was interested in journalism, or has been interested in news and journalism for a very long time, it was inspiring to see someone my age create a film. Um, by themselves, essentially, um, it's obviously with support and with mentors, but um, on their own, shot it, edited it. And so um, I later applied for the program and ultimately got in and um, was able to actually be taught by John and Stephanie um, at the Y um, and uh, learned how to shoot and edit um, my own film. And I think the, I think that, I guess the thing I would say that I would add to what John said was that I think RealWorks does a unique thing about bringing young people together in a space that otherwise would not ever meet, right? So like I was in a classroom with a kid who had been homeless for a significant period of time that I would have never met because I actually lived in Queens and was going to a school in Brooklyn. Um, I was in a class with a young Jewish 
uh, man that like, you know, was talking about right, like, you know, he was raised by his single mom. And um, I was, you know, just introduced to students from all over the city and everyone had a really unique story and everyone had uh, a desire and a passion to, to have their voice heard. And I think, you know, when I look at the classrooms we have today, we really just bring together students from, you know, different walks of life, different ethnicities, and they come together and they really become vulnerable in a space that is that is safe here at RealWorks where they can um, just relate to each other and support each other as they as they tell their stories. And so I think that is um, a really powerful thing. I mean, I'm still friends with um, people from my from my class. You know, one of the, the guys shot my wedding. Like, you know, like we just we also I've been on his films, like we all support each other and stay in touch. Um, I also I think the other really unique thing about RealWorks is um, their ability to bring in mentors into the space. So I was mentored by a, a producer um, when I was in the program and I stayed in touch with her like way through my college years and thereafter. I'm still friends with her on LinkedIn. Um, and so I think that, you know, we have the unique ability to find really awesome volunteers to work one on one with students to help craft their stories. And then so that person is helping you tell your story, but also that person becomes someone you could talk to about other things um, and it becomes your first network in the industry. Right. And so, um, you know, now, you know, I oversee the workforce program um, and it's really exciting to and, and I, I had a career in documentary television, still do um, for several years. And I really credit that to to real works you know like i i came from i didn't know anyone in the media industry i didn't think that was something that was attainable um or i didn't understand how to access it and i think real works did that for me and i'm just really grateful to be on the other side of that to be able to do that for this next generation that's amazing that's such a good story um charles anything we missed about real works <laughs> Oh, man. So I'm, I came in late in the game, right? RealWorks was already RealWorks by the time I stepped in a couple of years ago. Uh, I was I was just a middle school teacher, so I, I I'd been in the Department of Ed for of the of Education for about twenty years. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stephanie Stephanie ran, like ran into well, she did a RealWorks had done a piece on my school, mm -hmm. uh, and because we were a school that was really focused on inclusion and diversity and, and issues like that. And and uh, I met Stephanie there, who is the producer of Ever I Met One. Mm -hmm. And uh, she bumped, we bumped into each other about a year later in a cafe. And she's like, Charles, you're going to come work for RealWorks. And I chuckled a little bit to myself, but I'm here. <laughs> and so it was, uh, but it was, but I really, what I really loved about RealWorks was a little bit of what Keisha mentioned. It's just the idea that so many different people are brought into one room and yeah they're all learning filmmaking but they're like i think that the biggest lessons come from learning from each other and just being like whoa here's this other person whose story i would never have heard mm -hmm. whose life i would never have encountered and they're doing what i'm doing and uh are we that different and i i really i really like that kind of thing and the ways that we are different do they really matter as much and so i really i really like the fact that real works does that also as a teacher i way too many times seen like uh, like had like a film class because I would make films with my middle school students uh, and we'd make historical films and it was always really, really fun. Uh, but at the end, they'd go to science class and that was the end of that thing for them. And they were like, oh, that was a fun thing, but it wasn't like a real thing. They, they'd come back later and they'd mention it and they'd show it to their friends. Mm. But I but RealWorks is like, oh, here's this thing. It's really fun, right? That you could make money doing it. You know, it's it's this real kind of like, oh, you can you can take this all the way. You're fully capable. I really like that connection, uh, you know. And Stephanie, Stephanie, you know, she'll walk up to random people and be like, "You work for me now." <laughs> and, uh, she she came home and and talked about this amazing educator she met, and um, and I always like, yeah, yeah, another 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 brilliant person you met. Um, and then, but we got you here to teach the lab yes. where you came in as a part-time teacher. Yes. Um, and then we were able to bring you on full-time as we expanded our education department. That's that, amazing. Yeah. 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 So, so I'll just for, I, I want to fill in some gaps for folks who are listening that don't know, um, you know, for starters, 
you know, by now, uh, hopefully folks have gathered that uh, RealWorks is a New York-based, is a Brooklyn-based um, organization. So um, we're talking about, when you talk about, uh, Charles, you mentioned the New York, the, the Department of Education. We're talking about New York City Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, Stephanie, who's not in the room, but just a callback from your origin story, John, is, is – um, in addition to producing uh, all of this amazing work, uh, produces a relationship with you. Uh, mm-hmm. You you get to be her husband. <laughs> so so just just making sure everybody is is uh, up to speed. So yeah. a question question for you, Charles, as um, as an educator, as somebody who has spent as much time as you have um, in front of young people, do you think? that storytelling is a point of engagement for all learners. Wow. I'm trying to find another word that isn't absolutely. I, I think that we, we make sense of the world world through stories. I think everything that we say to each other, we we're constantly telling each other stories. Right. And, and every, every time I had to figure out what was happening in anybody in any student's world, they would start with a story. I I think that there's a like we sort of formalize the process, yeah. but students learned the best when you started with a story. Students understood things when it was, you know, built into a narrative. Like students share information best in a narrative. I we're 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 not computers. We're we're people. We're very feeling uh, beings, and I I I think having students be able to formally tell stories. Is is far more transformative than than we may give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about the critical thinking journey for the students. It's um, you know, if it's <clears throat> they don't always tell autobiographical stories, but if they're telling an autobiographical story, the you know they start to I'm living in my life. This is my life. This is a story of my life. And then when they turn it into a film. They have to start moving away from the center of it, even if they're in the film. They have to start thinking critically, okay, this is a story about, you know, um, an issue in my life or, you know, my family or it's loss or it's and then, you know, then the film becomes, although you want to say physically, it's not physical, it's digital. But it really becomes a separate thing, this 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 that they're trying to create the film they're making. They step even further away critically to see themselves from the outside or see their story from the outside. And we can continue that till they're an expert on the issue that they discuss, whether, you know, uh, whether maybe it could be grief or it could be addiction to family, or it just could be a story about identity and, um, and, and finding yourself, which a lot of story kids want to tell stories about. So that journey of being inside it, you know, inside the story and not thinking my story, certainly not thinking my story is unique or important or anybody would want to know, you know, that we all live in that. Mm-hmm. And then, moving away till it becomes something they can look at and be proud of that they created that to me is always exciting to watch because you know i you know a real works student um especially if someone met a real work student especially in their second or third year with us they can talk to adults they can articulate their ideas they mm-hmm. can pitch their story because we we practice these skills over and over again um but they always they always have they certainly have a confidence in their ability to express themselves, you know, not just with the, not just as with their peers, but with adults, with people different different ages, um, and that's something that's always that's been very consistent with with the organization as we've grown. And I just think that has to do with what you're saying, Mark. You know, it's you know, starting in, in storytelling and then becoming an advocate for your own self mm. is really the youth development journey that we did. We do like we, I always say that our our youth development philosophy is you know, filmmaking, which is a connected learning, you know, they love what they're doing. So they don't know how much they're learning what they're doing because they're just doing it because they love it. They don't know that they're learning leadership and technology and, you know, collaboration and all those beautiful things. Um, then we add caring adults, you know, whether it's Charles or their mentor, but there's no shortcut to mentoring. There's no shortcut to it. It's mentoring takes time. Mentoring takes caring. It takes trust. It doesn't happen quickly. There's no microwave for mentoring. It really is a long-term investment. Um, and then time. So take a young person, give them something they love to do, pair them with great teachers and a, and a mentor who's just for them. Say, tell your story or whatever story you want to tell. 
and then you know give them four years to hang out in a place like RealWorks, or, or even if they just take six months, but give them the time to really explore that. Um, there's no way you can go wrong from a youth development perspective. They're going to come out changed, um, and you know, um, and uh, and have a different perspective on life. Um, and I think that that's also something I'm very proud of. What's really in in the DNA, and that hasn't changed from 2001 to 2021. That's that's really the the sort of the core. Even if we couldn't have articulated that, because Stephanie and I couldn't pronounce pedagogy, so we didn't know what we were doing. Mm. You know, instinctually, that's what we were building. That's key. A, yeah, I, I and speaking. Uh, so, so the there was there was a there was a young woman in the first doc lab that I taught mm-hmm. who decided to write a story about uh, her mother's experience as an undocumented immigrant, and uh, she told the story about the hardships and then having to raise uh, three children and then having to you know and her dad was also there and like the struggles of the family and it was meant to be uh, a piece on. Uh, the difficulty of being an undocumented immigrant in this country and and the struggles that they go through. And and as she was telling the story, uh, she she interviewed her siblings and she she asked them questions and she was the 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 eldest child. And so she took care of them. She you know, she sacrificed a lot of herself in order to because that was just expected. And at the tail end, as she was editing her story together and telling telling the story about her mother, she realized that she was in fact telling the story of herself and the idea that she has sacrificed all of the things that she wanted to do mm. in order for somebody else to be able to have a better future. This in this moment was her siblings. She took care of them all the time. She was the mom the whole time, but she was like 15 years old. And so uh, she also spoke about like the way that her mother uh, dealt with anger. And then she realized, oh my goodness, that is exactly how I deal with anger. And just in that one moment, she had like this transformative moment where she's like, oh, I I am I am this person. Hmm. And like this kind of it was it was like an eye opening, like aha moment that like if you if you teach, you see it often when their kids like, oh, I can suddenly do math. But to see to be like, oh, I am I am this person in the grand scope of things. And this is the trajectory that I'm. I'm forcing myself into rather than expanding my view and imagining other possibilities, like to have her come to that moment and be like, I'd like to do something different with my life and to then go into other things and really explore her art and really explore herself in other ways was like, that's, that's what it's about in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh. Um, could you imagine? If every, if every, one of the questions I often will ask um, in conversations that are about programs is, you know, what's the outcome that you hope every young person who comes through the door leaves with? Um, Could you imagine if every young person left any program having had a self-reflective experience the way you just described it, Charles, um, like imagine what what generally the, the world would be like if we could all see ourselves um, at that young an age and and realize what what patterns exist that are positive, what patterns exist that are negative uh, or or you know that that you at least can make choices about um, you know some just are not necessarily negative is the wrong word yeah, but I, I, um, I was yeah. a filmmaker in high school and middle school and uh, you know, in some ways, we created the program we were we wish we had. Because I was, I went, I grew up in a privileged space. I went to a privileged school. I had equipment I could make movies with and video with, and I did all that stuff in Mamaroneck, New York. Um, uh, but no one ever said, "What do you care about? What's going on with you?" Mm. Like, like you know that question. You know, um, and I and I look at what I was what I was making then and how I was sort of translating all these feelings I was having through these stories I was creating, but I, I never was challenged to really reflect um, on what was happening in my life, my parents separating, you know, the issues that were going on in my family. Um, and I may or may, or may never, never have taken the bait and really run with it. I might not have, I might not have been that student. I might, mm. not, have, I might not have thrived at Good Works because um, I knew everything, of course. Um, but, um, you know, but I think that's when, in some ways, we're, we've created the space that we wish we had as, as a kid yeah. where, we're, you know, we're a caring adult 
that you trust, that you built, you know, really ask you what's going on and then challenges you to go a little further. We always have high standards. You know, we have high sta- filmmaking standards at RealWorks. Um, we have a lot of exemplars of those past student work showing what happens if you really, you know, you know, our classes are long. You know, it's a six month documentary filmmaking class. It's a 10 month narrative filmmaking class. It's a year long fellowship program where students mm-hmm. specialize. Um, so it really is a, a, a real investment of their time and into the community. Yeah. And I think it's also what, that that helps guide the, trans, the transformation that we see. Yeah. You know what I was hoping to segue and ask you, Keisha, is um, in, in my experience uh, working in youth development programs, I don't think I ever realized um, the extent to which our work was about um, – you know, young people sort of, sort of, um, supporting, sometimes guiding, sometimes just, just being present for the, the process of identity formation. Um, and so I wanted to ask you in, in a, you're in a really unique role, both in that you are, uh, professionally producing in other contexts now, um, but but how do you all structure the identity of the filmmaker today? Like, we're, we're no longer using film for the most part. I'm guessing you guys are in totally digital um, digital space. Uh, do you have like a, a Steambeck uh, tucked back in the corner or something, John? I dream of it, but no. <laughs> It would be an antique. Yeah. Um, so, so Keisha, how do you structure the identity of filmmaker today? How does that become relevant for the young people who come through the doors at, at RealWorks or um, come through the doors virtually to one of your courses online? You know, Mark, I don't think I understand the question. I understand the question. I don't think I understand so, the answer. So um, through different periods of time, mm-hmm. I think, you know, filmmaker is a – is a an artistic identity it's a professional one um, mm-hmm. it can be it's had different relevance at different points in time right so like in uh, when john was a kid um just like a minute ago uh you know there were the point of entry identity wise for filmmakers was like there were blockbuster films and like blockbusters were like you know, you waited down the block for the next movie to come out. So all of that context has shifted so much. There's the internet, there's um, how films are distributed, what creators actually produce and offer to the world by way of even just that story that Charles just told, like that young woman, even if she was only a filmmaker for six months, um, did something extraordinary. So, so, Anyway, with all of that, um, young people, you said earlier, you know, really, uh, Charles was saying it's it's a point of engagement for learners. How do you help them make that shift that John was describing from being um, a sort of passive uh, watcher of stories to somebody who really wants to take that up and tell a story themselves? Like, what is the identity, the hook for... Um, the identity formation for young people right now? I think that, so to your point, right, I think that, like, filmmaking, because sometimes I don't even like using the word filmmaking. I tell John that all the time. I'm like, we should use words like media or just because they're so, it's, you know, not all of our students want to work on set. Not all of our students, um, some students are interested in social media. Some There's so many students who just have come in here and say, I want to be a YouTuber and, like, okay, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that, like, um, I think that the creativity that they that they already have that is like fostered in these classes um, just continues to grow with them as they figure out what medium they want to use and like how they want to tell their stories. And I think um, I think for me, you know, when I usually engage with the students, it's at a place where they've decided that they've just fallen in love with filmmaking or falling in love with media and um and storytelling and so we work with them to really try to like make sure that they are just understanding of what careers are out there um you know we try to make sure that we can get them internship opportunities and really just like decide what they want to do because i do think like they come into these classes and they make these films and they get to touch everything right Mm -hmm. they get to 
work in pre-production and develop their story and then they get to work in production and go out and shoot it and then they learn how to edit it but um not everyone gets to do all of those things you know as an, as they grow and decide what you know what they want to do professionally and so i think we try to figure out like I guess in in determining their identity, like what what do you love the most? You know, like did you fall in love with the editing part and putting it all together? Did you fall in love with being on set? Mm. Do you really like development and you really like pitching your idea? Mm. Um, so I try to like with my team um, with our media makers workforce program, I try to like figure out what parts of what they've been learning in the classrooms they love and reson like that resonates with them the most. And then connect those to career opportunities um, and provide more awareness and, you know, give them networking opportunities so they can learn and grow. Um, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it definitely does. Okay. Um, Charles, John, do you guys have anything to add to that question? Well, no, I mean, I think what, what Keisha was talking about is, you know, if there are two parts of RareWorks, is the one where, you know, everyone's a filmmaker and everyone's a creator and everybody tells their own story and, it's not um, it's not focused um, beyond now because they're teenagers and they're in now mm -hmm. and they're telling their stories now, and um, you know and by the you know when when Keisha and her team starts working with them, they start they're beginning to think about oh I want to work in this industry I want a career here, mm. um, and um, and that's going that's another shift of identity because it might because it is like well what part of this process which has a thousand different crafts is mm -hmm. the, what craft am i interested in um what part of the you know um and it, that that could include on a more on a higher level i'm interested in journalism which, which keisha knew early on um in terms of their pathway um or it could be i, I want to be a cinematographer um so um you know it's 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 you know that's what's interesting about the media makers work is guiding that continued development of self towards a profession and you know and we've been embraced by companies we've been embraced by major media companies and small companies people really do want to guide young people on this path and of course because there isn't a path everybody knows it's a of any industry there's it's it's the one with the most most different ways in mm he's -hmm. got a different origin story how they became a prop person or a lighting person or a director or a producer or a producer um so, um, you know, and we constantly have to, you know, Keisha's constantly bringing professionals into virtual career cafes to tell those stories over and over again. They're all different just so students pick that up. Yeah. And it's I'll be honest, like it's not easy because what's what like the transition from the education programs to the workforce side, because the students, they make their film and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And then I have to mind to have a very serious talk with them that's like you can't make money you know like or you can but like it's difficult to like sustain yourself doing this exactly the way you just did it in your doc lab like I tell them all the time like you have to look at films that you like and you have to watch through the credits and like see all of these names and like all of these positions like it takes a lot of people to put together a mm. film even if it's a digital piece like it usually takes you know, at least a team, a shooter, an editor, producer, like, you know, there's someone booking the shoot, a location manager, like it takes a ton of people to put something together. And so I try to like, I try to not kill their excitement, but I also <laughs> try to like help them to form like realistic goals. Cause also like a lot of the, or most of the young people who come through our program are coming from marginalized communities, are coming from, you know, um, families that maybe don't have the most, you know, highest incomes. And so, you know, I also have to talk to them about like, what lifestyle do you want? Like, do you want to be a freelancer? Because I've been a freelancer where you're going mm -hmm. from job to job and you might not always have health insurance. And there are like challenges around that, you know, or do you want to work at a company? Because I've also worked at a company, right? And like, that's nice. You get like, you know, different kinds of perks in doing so. Um, and just try to help them think about, you know, do you want to do you want to go to college and do you want to study, you know, film here? Or do you want to there's a lot of like training programs that they offer in New York where you can go and, you know, you can do one of our job training programs and get right on a set or something like that. So I really try to like just connect the dots for them, maintaining their excitement, but also being like, you know, I don't want you to graduate this program. And then, you know, not and then not feel supported. And it's because it's difficult. Like this yeah. industry, the media industry is difficult. The media industry is, you know, just starting to really 
have these DEI programs that are trying to support people of color to get into the industry. But, you know, like for the most part, there is a lot of navigating it yourself. And so, you know, we try to make sure that they 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 use RealWorks as a support when they when they finish our programs. And we try to make sure that we provide them with enough professional networks um, in different companies so they have other people to go to to ask for advice to you know and and that's why the internships and those and the job training programs are so important as well like we want to make sure you have an awesome film that you can show but you also have a resume mm. that you use to get access and to get those those um, sustain, financially sustainable jobs yeah that's, that's one of my favorite things just media makers is is like the part that keeps me falling back in love with the this whole process because it's one thing like my mom is a phenomenal cook and my dad is a chef my mom can cook my dad under the table hands down <laughs> no questions asked but she doesn't feel like having someone tell her to make her a thing she's yeah. like i cook my food and mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be better than your dad's food yeah and and that's that's you know, that wasn't what she loved to do, even if she was really good at it. And there are a bunch of kids who come in and they want to tell a story and they have a story to tell. And we give them the tools to tell that story. And they get to some of them get to walk away having told their story yeah. and the tools to tell a story again. And then some of them are like, I need a job. Hmm. I want to be a producer. How do I become a producer? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's good to have both of those walking into doors that were like, we're not just doing one, we're not just doing the other. Like both are really, really important for developing for developing youth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, yeah, go ahead. Want to do, you know, like they like, yeah, whether or not they love it and decide they want to come back and make films because we've had alumni graduate and become like lawyers or go into business, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and that that's still those are success stories as well, you know. Um, and then we have those that want to really pursue it and, and focus in on it. And then we want to make sure we embrace them and walk them, you know, through those doors and make sure they can get in. Yeah. I don't know that many families who are like, well, you know, uh, didn't follow his dream, but he became a lawyer. So. <laughs> disappointed at plan b um yeah those are those are amazing success stories i want to i don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you all about the stories of this last year um tell us about some student work that moved you all um that told some of the story of this last year well, let's start with, you know, we were teaching one way for 20 years. You know, we are a hands-on filmmaking, shoulder-to-shoulder mentoring, in-person class place, you know, um, uh, you know, a community. This place was crowded and loud and, you know, it was wonderful. You know, 2019 was actually, I remember it was the year. It's like, you know, it, it, we really were the... Um, the community we were building of kids coming and, and meeting multiple generations and connecting, collaborating really was a physical place. Um, and that was really important part of how we saw our work. And then on a dime, we had to become a digital remote learning place. How do you teach filmmaking that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me has been, you know, and we've done remarkably well. I'm really, I'm really excited to have, Charles, what, what was the first thing that you did when classes shut down as the head of education? <laughs> Um, wow. Uh, wait, cause the first, second and third thing I did was panic. Um, but around the fourth thing we, I think it was just a lot of conversation about like, what does this look like online? Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's just going to have to be online. It was, uh, there wasn't any like brilliant moment where we, we sat around and we're like, oh, well, of course, this is the way forward. Mm-hmm. We we were just like, what are the things that are really, really important? Um, what is possible and what is not possible? And I think it was just a lot of conversations with uh, teaching artists and with, with like the, the folks at RealWorks. And, and we were like, let's create a completely online digital university of filmmaking mm. totally a possible thing <laughs> and 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 uh <laughs> and uh, it was and we test we we did a test run with a thing we called document it which i'm gonna i'm gonna hold to this day it was a phenomenal idea yeah, but, it was a, but it was a but it was a beta test for could this happen online mm. and uh then we we ran our summer lab on, online also and that 
And then we started figuring things out, like the fact that those terrible, horrible Zoom rectangles are also like movie screens, mm. right? And they're 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 sixteen by nine, uh, and and you can you can play with that. You know, we started figuring out the like the idea that uh, if you just tell some students to go go out and film a thing that is red and come back, like they come up with brilliant ideas on their own. Mm-hmm. We, we had a, adults who were like, the world is terrible. And it was like, it was absolutely mm-hmm. terrible. But there were students like, the world is terrible. By the way, check this out. Look mm-hmm. at what I can do. Yeah. Look what I'm capable of. And I think there's a resilience in, uh, in, in younger folks that, that we, we, because we're always like, we must protect the children. And the, the, the children were killing it. Like we we went out and we asked them to tell stories and we 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 started creating things that we thought would be interesting to them. Like there was a the Black Lives Matter movement was really uh, forging ahead, um, and there was this awakening in America. And so one of my teaching artists came over and they're like, "I want to make a class called Black Women in Cinema." Mm. And I was like, "Okay, what do they make?" It's like, "Do they have to make something, Charles?" I'm like, "Not with." You can do, and she created this amazing course mm. of like that really just outlined a lot of the the accomplishments of Black women in in cinema, and and the students did create a film, and it was a really powerful like activist type uh, short, and and that that was that was amazing. But there were also things like the art of comedy, where kids just like told really bad jokes for for an hour, and there were there were documentary labs where students told stories about their family, and it's always been their family and now that they were shut in with their family mm-hmm. it's like captive audience like mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point literally a captive audience and 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 they got so much more footage because of it and they and i don't know there's there's a resilience in 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 them that i i i will never ever underestimate again yeah. because they came back with stories and that is what we do and so it worked it worked out I think that there was a lot of building as we went. There was like, uh, this is sort of working well. This is not working. Now it's working mm. well. This is not now it's working well. And just a lot of problem solving along the way. But in the end, students told stories. And a lot of them were transformative stories. And I, I don't think that our mission changed yeah. at any point. Mm. Yeah, there's a technology story. There are two, two technology moments. Real work starts in 2001. What just happened? Well, the digital, the DV revolution and Final Cut Pro, you could shoot uh, with a cheap camera, broadcast quality video, and you can edit it on your computer and it can go online. And then 2005, YouTube happens. So that's when we start. We sort of start just, you know, uh, three or four years before we couldn't have done that. Actually, we would have been, we would have been editing what, high eight or something and it wouldn't broadcast quality. You know, similarly, you know, the pandemic happens when students, most of them have a movie studio in their pocket, in their, in their phones. That's right. So although we did supply laptops and cameras and, you know, to a lot of students, a lot of students, you know, we didn't have to do it for 100 percent of the students, which enabled everybody to be filmmaking. And, you know, and obviously we all learned about Zoom and, and, and how to use that technology. Mm. And Keisha, you, you actually taught the first online classes here, completely online classes with the workforce programs and then went to remote internships last summer. This last year was crazy, but I think the work we did was so important. And I think RealWorks is never gonna be the same after after this year. Um, I mean, no one's gonna be the same, right? Um, yeah, we had to, we had plans. We had plans with um, Warner Media to launch a post-production coordinator um, training. And so um, it was a uh, post-production coordinator is a role obviously uh, within um, post-production management. So folks that are really on the, the managerial side of the post-production process, mm-hmm. that's, that's redundant, but that's what it is. And so it was a, a training that was planned. We were going to be doing it in person in New York and quickly realized we couldn't. And so in, I believe it was October of 2020, we um, had just, we, you know, we had decided to move forward and we launched a completely virtual um, training program. And it was a New York, it was all, it was um, 16 uh, New York, New York City um, early career professionals who were interested in post-production management. And um, the class was successful. 
Um, it was at that time six weeks long and it was um, two evenings a week. We wanted to make sure people could work full time if they needed to. Um, and it was so successful that Warner Media asked us to run it again, like a month and a half later, mm. which, oh my gosh, I should have said, no, we need more time, but, <laughs> but it worked. And we, um, we actually, for that class, and we just graduated a second class, um, of, um, just not too long ago, we, um, or I should say back in, uh, where are we? We're in, uh, back in May we graduated, or June, we graduated a, our third cohort. The last two cohorts we ran by coastal. So it was a half New York City-based class and a half LA-based class. Um, and we had one instructor in New York and one instructor in Texas. And mm. I just love that because we would have never been able to create such an awesome dynamic um, without the virtual space. And so, you know, it's, you know, we yes, we weren't able to do in-person tours of like, you know, post-production houses, and there were some elements that we had to sort of um, change, but the individuals who participated, I would say about a little bit more than 80% of them are working full-time as post-production coordinators. Many of them started working completely remotely and like mm -hmm. still never been in their office, but um, they built such a, a network um, through this process and it, it was a learning process. Like it was really challenging, um, but it's been really successful. And I don't know that we're gonna do an in-person class. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like I feel like we were able to unite like two coasts, you know, together um, and, you know, really build a strong network and have, have guest speakers from the HBO, you know, um, post-production team in LA, Zoom in and, and lecture in on classes and, that's just it just conceptually we, we weren't bringing the class to that level like mm. we didn't think about that we weren't mm. thinking about hybrid and how we connect people digitally and so um that was really successful and then we had in june we had brought in um oh my gosh close to like a hundred um we had just uh, completed our or just launched our partnership with cuny so that's the city universities of new york um and we had just brought in a hundred students roughly to our internship program hmm. so we had accepted them and in that in june of 2020 we were supposed to be having work readiness classes and placing all of them hopefully in internships that was the goal and we learned very quickly that there were going to be there was going to be a uh, very um great decrease in the amount of internship opportunities that were going to be available and we learned very quickly that we weren't going to be able to have in-person classes. And so um, similarly to edu the education team, as they were trying to figure out how to do their classes, we launched a bunch of work readiness classes, completely virtual, and then reached out to all of our company partners and said, you know, who's doing internships? You know, we can support you with remote internships if need be. We started doing virtual networking events for people who couldn't go to internships. We created a library of online classes. Um, with companies to like supplement for students who wanted to put something on their resume. So we, we created mini courses so they could say, I took this course in the summer of 2020. Um, Cause there was a panic. Like these students were like, I lost the whole summer of my career, you know, of my career pursuit. And like, how am I, this, what is my resume gonna look like in mm. 2020? Like I did nothing. Mm. And so we really wanted to like, um, to rectify that and just find just creative ways to make sure they had something to put on their resume that they could say they accomplished that year. Um, and it was difficult, but it was it was really cool to figure it out. Yeah, we really become a, a sort of a nationwide organization um, through remote learning. Uh, Charles has uh, taught, has taught classes in California, um, Wind River Indian Reservation in Wyoming, uh, San Ysidro in a border, a border community in California, and St. John's Parish in Louisiana um, through a partnership with Paramount TV. Um, so, you know, um, you know, these are things that we never want to go back. We, we want to continue to do this. You yeah. know, I feel like we, we discovered a superpower of being able to teach, you know, I mean, I feel like, you know, in filmmaking, we've done about close to 90% of the filmmaking teaching successfully. Um, you know, they're, Physical production is an important part of filmmaking, and mm -hmm. you know a documentary filmmaker can go out with his her camera or her phone and and shoot. A narrative filmmaker needs to get together and film, and we've been doing that as well um, since COVID restrictions allowed us to this fall. Um, but we've been able to do so much more than we expected: mm. remote internships, you know, remote classes, remote workforce training, remote filmmaking. Um, it's permanently changed us and changed our sense we are and who we serve. 
I am uh, I'm so excited for the change. And uh, one of the things that folks who are listening and interested to get their hands on resources, I'm just excited to um, tell them, let's just sort of wrap in a place where we can tell them a little bit about this partnership with HBO and how they might access RealWorks um, resources in the future. The uh, Warner Media program, the post-production program. Yeah, the the uh, you and I, John, were talking about the um, the I guess the resources, the the curriculum that HBO oh. was helping to um, help you produce and put out there. So you know, one of the things that's come out of um, this this season that we were in during the pandemic and trying to develop digital resources is the creation of an online um, uh, online library of courses. And so um, this this has made, been made possible by Warner Media, who's funded the, um, the the project, so we can create this this space. And so right now we're in development for um, work readiness courses, so courses that teach um, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, professionalism, and work and self direction, self direction. So skills around those five areas of those 21st century skills that employers are looking for. Um, we're also developing a library. Uh, we're also developing courses within that library. Um, for upskilling. So we call these media makers industry upskill courses. So they're specialized courses that are created in, in partnership with different companies to teach mm. individual specific skills. And um, we also have some like previous recorded, previously recorded workshops and other resources on this platform. And the goal is really to be able to share this with others. Right now, we're going to be piloting it with a small group um, over the next six months. And then, um, but there is, you know, we're, we're going to own it. We're in, you know, there are a lot of um, individuals who are interested in media and filmmaking, interested in learning uh, these skills. And so as we, as we continue to build it out, we're definitely looking forward to being able to expand um, to a broader population these resources. And I will add also, like for media makers, the all of our job training programs are always open to the public for people to learn more. So we actually, in addition to the Warner Media post-production coordinator training program, we have a post-production supervisor. So that's the next level up training program that is going to launch this fall. We also have our studio mechanics boot camp, which is a partnership with IATSE. Um, and that's for people who are interested in careers on set uh, as electrics and grips. And we're also hopeful to um, bring that back. That was an, a very, very much hands-on in-person training that we had to suspend. And we're looking forward to bringing that back in the very near future. So individuals can always find out about those. Um, really, the requirement is you need to be able to, well, the post-production supervisor and coordinator one is open to individuals in New York and LA. And then the other one, the Studio Mechanic Bootcamp one, is open to individuals in the New York City uh, area. And people can apply and um, and uh, and learn more. Amazing. Um, I am so grateful for the time from the three of you and and i'm so excited that the last year has uh with all of its challenges presented um a lot of excitement and and sort of forward motion for real works um john charles keisha thank you so much for joining thank you so much it was great yeah. being here yeah learn about our programs at realworks.org R-E-E-L-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G. And um, our handles are at RealWorks um, on IG and uh, and Twitter. Um, and um, follow our stories. And uh, we'll have, um, you know, classes open, trainings available, opportunities to get involved, to mentor, to support, um, all, through, all through our website. Um, and you can check that out. Awesome. And our, and our, and our students' movies, their movies yes. are available. Even more important than yes. links to applications. <laughs> yes. um, um, you know, if you do nothing else, come to RealWorks and watch a kid's story. Um, it'll it'll uh, move you. I promise you. And, Amazing. Uh, best the best advertisement for what we're about is our kids' films. And if you can't if you can't bring your feet all the way to uh, to our offices on YouTube, R E E L W O R K S, every RealWorks film every ever movie ever made. Ever awesome. Made. Including mine. Including Keisha's film. Find Keisha's film. Awesome.
All all of the links um, that you just mentioned will be in the show notes for the episode. I can't thank the three of you enough, and I hope we get to uh, touch base really soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.